0: Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios,
1: here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got the one and only welcome back, Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Bobby, it's so good to see you. Missed you. Yeah. Next to him, we've got, well, the man who needs a little personality, Mr. Nick Peck. <laughs>
0: Hello, Mike. Oh, Bobby pulls his headphones Who knows? Hello hello, Mike. Hi, Bobby. Hi, <laughs> Hi, it's good to see you. I'm really glad that we're doing this. And we have Dave here that's so cool. Oh. But uh, sorry. Uh, uh, there the, I go, burying the yeah, lead.
1: Way yeah, to, way to bury the lead. Across the table <laughs> we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcasts, Mr Rob Arbitier. Hello, everyone. Am I in person or am I on Skype? Uh, you're in person. Awesome! <laughs> and joining us today, we have a very special guest. Um, this guy's one of my heroes and is is literally responsible for me having my music career because of the products that he has designed and he has built. And that's the one and only Mr. Dave Smith from Dave Smith Instruments. Dave, hello. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Hello, Dave. So good to have you here, here, Dave. And uh, we're going to spend some time um, talking with Dave in a little bit, but... um, yeah, it, it's been it, – I'm, if I'm a little nervous or if I'm a little on the edge, it's because, you know, I'm talking to my Mickey Mantle here. So I just want to let you guys know that. Um, and Dave also, was an incredible baseball player? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Wow. Uh, and also um, joining us today, we have a good friend and actually a, a listener of the podcast, but we've become some, a really good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Michael – I'm going to butcher your, your last name. <laughs> Ingressor. Correct. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Yay. see, it's, it's nicely <laughs> done. <laughs> um, and he as uh, a composer. is really talented. Um, I've heard some of his music. He he came through on a, a little project, and um, yeah, really, really good. So, Michael, it's good. To, how do you feel about being here around the table? I'm. Uh,
0: it's hard not to be starstruck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really, because it's really easy for us not to. be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah it's it was it's really great. Well I'm I'm glad you can join us. Um we got a few things to talk about but right off the top um I want to say a big thank you. We launched our first episode of Spaces. Um our audio nowcast channel is up and running and actually Dave Smith was the um the subject of the very first one. We got to go to his uh, his space and it was really great. and There's a really good uh, interview with Dave and um yeah, so Dave, thank you so much for for being on uh, Spaces and uh, launching it. You're the launch of awesome. of the channel. <laughs> it's only downhill uh, from there. <laughs> you made me sound good, <laughs> but um, but no, it's it's I've gotten a lot of really great support. We've got a lot of views, and it's just it's actually been really kind of fun, and the feedback has been really great. And if you've listened to this podcast any amount of time, I was talking about Spaces. <laughs> like 10 years ago i wanted to do it we had a false start about six years ago <laughs> where i actually started rolling but then the editor um who was supposed to work with me kind of bailed on the whole thing and then uh we got it up and running again we started shooting about 18 months ago uh, when bliss came out as the producer so it, it worked out really well and um you know, got one out, and we've got seven more episodes coming, and we're doing one. Well, actually, six more episodes. We're going to be doing a release um, every other week for the next uh, twelve weeks. So it's it's wow. it's pretty fun. Pretty fun. Um, so I Mike, just where
0: can people find spaces online? If just they
1: to. thank you. Just go to YouTube and look for Audio Nowcasts. We have our own channel, and there's going to be. Um, full episodes of spaces but then we're also going to have smaller episodes that we call smaller spaces and then we're going to have really short you know little video hits as I call them we're going to call those tiny spaces so it's all spaces all the time so it's going to be it'll be pretty fun and we're going to that's actually a really good outlet and it kind of is an extension of the whole podcast Um, so there we go moving on let's talk a little bit industry news Um, guitar center apparently is not going to die this summer because they got their debt—is it was it reorganized that they got their debt? You know, was it, um, Bobby? Do you know if it was reorganized or refinanced? Honestly, I wrote an
2: article about it. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, but they got saved. I mean, they yeah, were- they got saved. And um, Dave, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know they do. You guys you get distributed some of your stuff through through Guitar Center. Um, what?
3: Obviously, it's a good thing for everybody. I think they have it for another year or maybe two. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it would be a very bad thing for a lot of people if something happened. And so, you know, we all well, want them to stick around. So it's it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gives us another outlet for a little while. I mean, I hope they can get their act together because, you know, when you're buying, when, you're, when your options become, you know, for a lot of people, just mail order, you know, just buying online. I, I just think, you know, we're lucky in Los Angeles that we have so many great outlets to buy keyboards but and to buy that kind of gear. But, you know, in some of those smaller towns when you only, you know, there's only maybe one or two places because they kind of put out the independent um, – Music store, you know, you just don't see as many of them as it used to. <coughs> Although there's still some strong ones left, but you know, you hear about all these classic ones that have closed or are no longer there. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at <laughs> you go to New York and that whole Sam Ash, you know, that whole row. That's that's back in the day, man. That place was hopping, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just it's not Forty Eighth Street. Yeah, that was the place to to go get your keyboard, <laughs> to go get whatever whatever you need when you were in New York. So. Um, I don't know. It's it's mixed feelings because I'm glad they're alive and kicking. But at the same time, man, the people in charge have really lost – I think they've lost focus. You know, It used to be the place where pros go, and I don't know any pros that, that really go there.
4: Well, it's kind of depressing to go in there now. It used to be that they'd have plenty of things in stock. And the last few times I've gone there to try to get something, nothing's been in stock. There was one keyboard I needed – And they said, we have an open box. So I said, okay, well, let me see the open box. If it's in good shape, I'll buy it. And they brought out the open box, and in the box was the keyboard. No packing foam, no manual, no power supply, nothing. Just a keyboard rattling around in a cardboard box. And I thought, you actually took this back? Like someone returned it like this? And they said they must have. We wouldn't have taken it back. (laughs) You know?
3: Well in their in their defense, uh, it's there's so many products out there right now. I mean, as we all know, every part of the music industry has tons and tons of products. and it's impossible for any brick and mortar to stock. Much more than a percentage of that, and that's where the online guys have a huge advantage because they can actually afford to stock everything. That's but e- even Guitar Center, as big as they are, they just you can't have everything in the store, uh, and it's, so there is an advantage to the online guys just for that reason. The stuff I was buying though was it was like
4: really popular mainstream stuff. I was pretty shocked they didn't have it. And it just this, the whole store sort of felt depressing. Like you could tell that there wasn't a passionate manager really organizing things. And I just I think back to the way it used to be, and it was really an exciting, enthusiastic place to go to. And, and also, I think they must have a pretty quick turnaround on the employees. I feel like every time I walk in there, I, I'm meeting somebody new. I well, think
0: that's always been the case. Well, has Guitar it? Center is a yeah. is a stepping stone to go do something else. I,
4: I guess we were lucky to have longer-term people who were there for years.
1: Well, the thing is, is they restructured their payment to the to their sales guys. Um, so, like a couple of my friends that were long-term salespeople, um, they lost a significant chunk of change when they restructured how their commissions were. You know, Because before, when they, I think, I believe, and I'm not 100% on this, but you, they used to get a commission on everything that they sold and then they went to a goal-based like you have to hit a goal and then after that goal then you get a a percentage and that percentage dropped from what it originally was so remember when you could go into guitar center and do the whole you know price thing and you could haggle with the actual salesperson that was across the counter for you Mm -hmm. you know they don't do that anymore because they're not tied in to the commission directly to that sale. That sale, they may not get any commission off that sale because they haven't hit their their nut yet, you know? So it's, I think once you take that away, you know, there's there's a motivation for people not to stick around and you just keep trending people more and more. Well, hopefully
4: the new administration (laughs) will learn from the mistakes and... Remember the good
1: stuff. I mean, I you know I like music stores. I like going into a music store. I like playing stuff. I like touching stuff. That's why I'm a big fan of you know keyboards, and I'm a big fan of you know drum sets and things like that. But you know, it, it's you gotta. I don't know. I, I, why could back in the day we sell all these high end gear, all this expensive equipment, and everybody's making money and you know now it, we, you know it's, it's just not the same. Well, yeah. I'm
4: sure they suffer from people going into the store to get their to lay their hands on the keyboard. Then they order it online, even right. if it's a dollar less, they'll order it yeah. online to save that dollar, and that's obviously hard to compete with.
0: Mike, just to to clarify for for me and for the viewers who or the listeners who may not know, did they actually declare bankruptcy? Did they de- did they declare Chapter 11? No, no,
2: no, no. But they had a big balloon payment that was due. I see. So they refinanced the balloon. And it bought them some time, basically.
0: And uh, are, are they still owned by Bain Capital, Mitt Romney's company? No, no. As a matter of fact, uh, Bain um, defaulted.
2: Really? So their partner, their partner hedge fund, actually got Bain's uh, share of it in stock. I can't remember. the. It begins with an A. I can't remember the name of it. But, but now they're the
0: controlling interest. And so there's a new so there's a different management structure in place there's a different CEO
2: it, It's been like that for years structure. actually. The, this isn't new. This is a couple years. Yeah.
1: in the making. That, and so. and it's way more they're they're more of like a Best Buy than of a music store. I mean that that's their model is is more it's it's not like the old Guitar Center with it's it's all it's like a Best Buy. It's for musical instruments, you know.
2: Um Avid too. Avid just got a loan and sort of got bailed out. Really? Yeah. As of today.
1: Wow. wow! Hot off the presses. Hot off the. I didn't even know that. Well, that just means they're gonna, you know, split their price pricing even more. <laughs> 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 Instead of four ways to buy Pro Tools, now there's gonna be like sixteen ways to buy Pro Tools. Oh boy! <laughs> <I'm> so excited. <laughs> oh man. Hey, uh, Dave. I'm curious. When was the last time? Or actually. Let me rephrase this. Do you ever go into a music store and just kind of check out how they, you know, represent your products or how they sell your products? Or have you ever done that through any of the, you know, products that you've released um, uh, very
3: rarely, not usually. It's not something I usually want to do. <laughs> no, I, uh, I can't say that I have much experience. I mean, once in a while I'll find myself in a place and I try to get in and out without being recognized and grabbed. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but no, I, you know it's it's a tough. Like I said earlier, it's a tough market, you know, for anybody competing against uh, online sales. Yeah. And the comment earlier about people short timers at Guitar Center—it was the same way in the '80s. You know, anytime some good kid came in and was good at selling stuff at Guitar Center, some manufacturer's rep would come in and grab them, and you know they'd never last very long. It was just it's always been the nature of the business if you're good, somebody grabs you you move on if you're not well then you stay so it's, the
2: exception it's, exception is sweet water
3: well that's online though
2: yes that's true
3: and and they're in Fort Wayne, you know, so they're not competing with everybody else in LA or wherever. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a whole different business model. Sweetwater does obviously, we all know they do a great job. It's a great company to work with. So, but they've got you know an advantage. Mm-hmm. They stock everything.
1: Well, right. I I hope there's a there's a happy medium. I hope it it kind of between online and between brick and mortar stores and there are actually there are some really good stores even in LA that sell like scents and things like that that seem to be thriving you know and you still got your like Westlake Pro and you've got perfect
0: circuit perfect Perfect. circuit unbelievable
1: Um, so I I think you know if, if people can find that that happy little medium to do that kind of stuff
0: personally I love I love mom and pop shops I love places that are you know that are that are that are just one storefront, one brick and mortar thing. Robot speak in San Francisco, Dave, and and yeah. uh, you know, Perfect Circuit and and uh, the LA Base Exchange and things like that. I mean, yeah. those are the places that I really like to go to because I feel like I can have a real conversation with the people that are there and learn what their actual opinion is on something and be guided by that and learn something new and interesting. I think
1: product support is a really big thing also because yeah. if you're going to spend you know, two grand on a keyboard, you're going to spend you know, $1,000 on something, uh, I don't know. I, I would prefer to have a place to go should I need some support and, and yeah. you know, have some knowledge on that. Anyway, um, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with uh, with Guitar Center, and we'll see what happens with Avid. I'm not going to talk about Avid. I, I'm uh-huh. so tempted, but that's just, uh, yeah. that's just all, <laughs> we just don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, but um, all right, well, let's. Uh, we're going to switch gears, and um, we have Dave Smith here, who um, once again was, you know, uh, the subject of the first Audio Now Cast Spaces, and it was really an honor to. Um, interview dave and uh like i said a little bit in the opening um i got into electronic music because uh i actually started in electronic music and since at my junior college that i was at um we had an emu rack and we had a sequential circuit sequencer and it was one of the ones where you had the little dip switches going with, uh, with the whole rack. And I just thought it was magic. And I just remember seeing the sequential circuits on there. And that was like, oh my goodness. that just like, it was so foreign and so real. And then the first synthesizer that I actually got to touch was, was a six track, which was a sequential circuit six track. And that had, now it had like the uh, sequencer built into it. And so coming from the little dip switches up there, to now having like it built inside the keyboard six tracks <laughs> it was like oh my goodness this was so it was the coolest thing and and it just sparked an interest and it just kind of kept me going and then uh, throughout the years Dave we've had like I've had run-ins with you I was at a I was a guest of Rob at one of your Dave Smith um, um, dinners uh, after afternoon and uh, so that was kind of fun. And later on, we find out we're talking about it on the podcast and Joanne saying, oh, yeah, oh, that was that, you know, and she was there and Andrew was there. And that was that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then, a f- you know, a couple of years ago, I have a picture of you and Tom Oberheim. And myself from the Nam Show, and that, that was like so. Dave, we've crossed paths all this, you know, all these years. <laughs> so, anyway, it's definitely an honor to have you here. Um, like I said, we have a, um, you know, there is a lot of information, and I did that interview, and we got how you started and stuff. But I wanted to talk to you um, about a few things before we get into the Prophet X because you just released a new keyboard, the Prophet X, which is just a phenomenal. It's it's really. It's a sound designer's dream. The, the potential for sound is just unlimited. It does some stuff that, that no other keyboard's ever done before. But before we get into that, how do you decide, Dave, like, um, how do you decide on what product you wanna make? Like, you have all these great keyboards. How does that, how does that where does that even start?
3: Uh, there's never a formula. Uh, it's funny, because right now, we're going through that exact process uh, because we we never have a plan, you know, for the future. So now that we've wrapped up the Profit X, we're saying, okay, what do we want to build next? And we've had one running idea, and now we may still do that, but we have some other couple ideas that we might push in front of that. We we just don't know. And I should emphasize this: we. Now it's not just me. When I first started this company and I did the Evolver and then the Profit 8, you know, it was just me. So I just kind of did whatever I wanted, but it really is a team effort now. And I've got a great team and we all have a great time throwing ideas around, seeing what sticks. And, but there's no, there's no, there's no formula. We we don't target a market. We don't say oh the techno guys would love this or the composers would love this. We just decide kind of what sounds like a fun instrument to make uh, that's different from what we've made in the past and hopefully different from what other people are doing.
1: What's what's your development cycle? Is it like is it six months, a year, two years, four years? three weeks All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> some products
3: are very quick the ob6 was a very quick one because you know we had the base of the profit six you know the basic architecture so it was fairly easy to do the ob6 by just changing the voice architecture uh, so that was probably i don't know nine months or something uh maybe less whereas the profit x uh, it was probably like a year and a half of hard work and a year and a half before that, you know, just starting to work on it and doing some initial research and so forth. So technically that might've been, you know, more of a two or three year project, but it, it all depends, you know, and if we do a module version of a keyboard, you know, that almost doesn't count because that's <laughs> just quick and easy. So, uh, it, it, it varies. Um, but, uh, we try we, I look back recently, and it looks like you know, about once a year we introduce a major project product, so you know that's kind of our
1: average well that's you know that's a pretty good average because all those products are, are really good. Have you ever um have you ever thought of an idea for a product and you start developing it, and then you know we know all about your hits, but you, have any, you ever have any misses <laughs>
3: we've had a couple that were, I don't know, I guess misses in that, you know, they, um, they weren't anything big or new or fancy. Well, you know?
1: I, I'm not even talking about like products that came out because I don't think any of them were misses. I'm talking about any products that you started, but then you realized either because technology wasn't where you needed it to be and you were maybe too far ahead of your time or you just, you just didn't want to go down that route anymore.
3: Well, we have changed our minds, but generally, it's because a better idea comes along. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and you know, we keep track somewhat of what it's going to cost, and of course, how much money we'll make on it. But usually, it's all about the product. We wouldn't do a product if we thought, even if we thought it was really cool, if we decided we could only sell five hundred, we probably won't do it because you know we do have to stay in business. Right. Right. How how much
4: of how much of the team are musicians, actual keyboard players who are going to be using this stuff?
3: Uh, probably better question is how many are not. Um, uh, yeah, pretty much everybody, certainly in development. I mean, we're all synth heads. We're all crazy about the gear. We all have, you know, separate musical instruments, but, uh, Interest, but they all overlap quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it, it's all about the sense. It's all about the music. It's, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's also, I think, different from a lot of companies where, you know, you have a marketing department telling an engineering department what to build. Right, uh, right. Our, in our case, the engineering department is the marketing department because we don't have a marketing department. So <laughs> it's, you know, we, we are the marketing department. That's also why we do things so quickly. You know, we don't have to ask anybody. We we just do what we all decide to do and that's it. And we just and then we build it.
0: It feels, it to, feels me that, to me that oh, the, oh are you hearing an yes, echo. I was hearing an echo, sorry. <laughs> Dave, one of the things that I've really noticed since you uh since you started Dave Smith Instruments is that every one of the products that you've come out with have a have a very distinct personality i mean there's something about them that i it, that really feels like it was just developed by a couple of people who decided that they were going to take a stand and that that was what they were going to do it didn't feel like a watered down you know Thing that ten marketing people have sat around and you know sort of shaved polished all the edges off until uh, <laughs> until it's just another piece of pablum, right? Um, so I just wanted to give you give you that feedback. I you know felt that way for quite a while, and then I have a question for you. I uh, um, I tend to represent the Eurorack and the modular uh, side of things on this podcast, and I have your filter and I love it. It's really really great. Um, curious why you guys haven't been doing more Eurorack stuff and whether you think that you're going to in the future or is it too small a market for you?
3: Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, your last comment. Uh, We'd love to do it and, you know, we could build 50 modules. You know, there's no shortage. We, We have the technology to do whatever we want and we could have some very cool things. But we basically found that it's almost as much work to get a module into production because if you're going to sell a thousand of them, you have to go through all the same steps of testing, make sure it's right, getting into production, buying all the parts, you know, the whole thing. And then then we sell it for $200, you know, or it gets sold for $200 in the store. So, you know, we sell it for even less. So even if we sell a thousand of them, you know, it's compared to doing one keyboard, uh, which might be a little bit more work or twice as much work it's just yeah you know, and we're a small company and we don't want to grow uh, and i can hire more engineers so we could do all of that in addition to the keyboards but that's we're not in business to grow we're in business to have fun crafting interesting new instruments and your comment about the personality uh hits it right on the head and thank you for saying that because that's Exactly what we're trying to do and what we've always tried to do is put personality back into electronic musical instruments because it was gone for the 20 years of the digital dark ages.
0: <laughs> well, keep going. You've got a bunch of fans here.
1: Thank you. <laughs> digital dark ages. That's great. <laughs> Dave, I got a question. When you are developing a product, how do you, um, how do you visualize what it's going to sound like before you have it even have have made it like to me that, that's the most interesting thing
3: well there's a lot of magic there there's a lot of well some luck uh, <laughs> you know it's like when I built the Prophet 5 I didn't you know I, I hope it sounds good and it, it did <laughs> uh, you know and when we built the OB6 well we designed an SEM voice so we kind of knew it was going to sound like an Oberheim and indeed it did uh, the technology we use in the profit six, we thought it would kind of have the soul of the profit five, though it would be a little different and it turned out that way. But you know, we're, it's hard to say, it's hard to define. We're, we're seasoned engineers. You know, I've been doing this for 45 years right. and the hardware guys been doing it for a long time. Uh, we kind of know how to do things. So we don't really stress over how is this going to sound? We just can kind of usually just, Let's just do it. You know, this is what it's going to do. We're pretty sure this is how it's going to sound. Uh, and, and everybody's that way. You know, Andrew, I mean, you know all the guys. Right. You know, we all kind of have an idea that if we build a filter that's kind of like this, it's probably going to sound good. But you never know exactly what it's going to sound like until you build it because every, every
1: circuit is going to be a little bit different. Do you, do, you have a, do you have like a first sound moment where you actually hear something for the first time? Do you, oh, yeah. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah.
3: It's always the most fun part. because That's another thing we do. We usually don't breadboard or mock up part of it. We just go straight to the whole banana. We just build the whole keyboard. Wow. We just build a first prototype, and we'll build like five or ten of them, and then we make it work. And there's always this magic moment the first time we get sound out of it. We get enough of the software working. We get the hardware working well enough that the first sound comes out. And it's just always a magical moment. Wow.
1: Wait, do you break a bottle <laughs> of champagne over it or anything?
3: <laughs> Tequila's is the uh, company drink of choice <laughs> in, in that case. But um, in, in the case uh, in particular uh, with the OB-6, you know, I was a little worried when we started working on it that, you know, especially so soon after the Prophet 6 that people would say, oh, it's just another polysynth. You know, it's a big deal. Uh but the very first time we got sound out of it, we all stood around and just kind of said, yep, that's an Oberheim. <laughs> and it was just, there was no question about it from the very beginning that it was a different animal than the Prophet 6. and it was So it was an extra special moment in that case.
1: Now, in the second generation of analog, you're there in the first generation, and then you come back and you do the second generation of analog. Were you ever worried that the components... Weren't going to sound the same because obviously, when you came back into it, everything's changed, you know, everything gets a little better, everything sounds a little different. Was there ever any worry that it just wasn't going to sound the same?
3: Not at all, because that was never my goal. I, I never wanted to just do what was done oh. 30 years ago. I mean, there are other companies that are trying really hard to do nothing but copy stuff that's 30 or 40 years old, so. I like to say what I'm doing now is what they can copy 30 years from now. (laughs) But, no, you know, if you look at the Evolver, which was my first product coming back, you know, I was trying something new. I was integrating digital circuitry with analog in a unique way to come up with something that was new. I didn't want to just build a Prophet 5. It was you know, you know I, I i've done that there was i i was trying to go in a different direction so it was totally irrelevant whether or not i had access to this transistor or this part or that part because it didn't matter that wasn't what i was trying to do
1: um l- let me go back and i promise this is the only time we're going to talk about a legacy product but i want to talk a little bit about the prophet five since it made such a big impact on on music um We all know what the Prophet 5 sounds like and what a a big deal it was, but I remember you saying about the Prophet 5 being the first keyboard where you could have all that recall. Um, How how crazy was it for you to develop that the recall at that time I mean was that like were you worried that it was going to work or it wasn't going to work I mean that just to me that's a really big moment in, in synth history because that really makes a lot of things work further down the road uh- in my case, it was actually the easiest
3: part of the design. Really, uh, really? you have to remember that I I had graduated from Cal Berkeley in 1971 with a degree not only electrical engineering but electrical engineering and computer science. So I was already working in computers for you know a few years, uh, and my day job in Silicon Valley the first few years was working on microprocessors. So I knew how these worked, and I knew how simple it would be to use a microprocessor to control a synth and it was simple it was trivial but nobody else at that point had experience with microprocessors enough to figure that out so that was the easy part it 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 really was i just well microprocessor synth chips put them together (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's really what it was so
1: yeah. Wow, you just dashed all these illusions I had of you fretting about you know doing a recall and like, wait, that's not uh-uh. quite right.
3: <laughs> Little did yeah. I know. Yeah. I had the uh, Model 700 programmer out a couple of years before that and that had uh, patch memory in it and that was actually a programming unit for Minimoogs and ARP 2600s. Wow. Uh, and that one didn't even use a microprocessor and it was still kind of simple to do. It's, it's di- Digital stuff's really usually not that hard. Compared to the analog side. Uh, But, you know, the Prophet 5 was, I think, still the first commercial musical instrument with a microprocessor. And, of course, within a year or two, everybody had them. Right. Because it was obvious. I mean, it was.
4: It's always obvious after someone else does it, isn't it?
3: (laughs) So I was just in the right place at the right time. I mean, working in Silicon Valley, where all this stuff
1: came from, uh, it was just, yeah, it was obvious to me. Um, Dave, your definition of simple is really different than my definition <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah,
3: but if you talk to any microprocessor engineer in the mid seventies they they 'd say the same thing
1: um, well that's that 's wow, who knew it was that simple <laughs> let's let 's go on to the to the Prophet x um a little bit um, and i know you 've answered this question a, a gazillion times, but i 'm going to ask you one more time uh, Tell us a little bit about the um, what was the genesis of, of coming up with the, with the Prophet X? Uh,
3: there's a couple of prongs on that. Um, one simple one is that for 30 years, people have been asking to have samples playing through analog filters. Yeah. Uh, it sounds great. It's cheating. When you put anything through an analog filter, it sounds better. And I'm not going to try to give you any technical reason for that. It just is. Separately, I had absolutely no interest in ever getting involved with samples. I was burnt out on sample um, workstations and wereoplers. They've been around for 30 years now, and I couldn't care less. And I certainly didn't want to develop a sample library. I was going to never do that. So uh, the sidebar is that I met some friends here. In I'm up in Napa Valley, San Santa a town of 5,000 people. Met a couple people fairly new in town, maybe five, six years ago, Trolls uh, and Tanya Fulman, and they had this company called 8DO that made sample libraries. And, when, you know, after we got to know each other, they kind of said, well, you know, we ought to build the products together someday. And I go, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so they'd say, you know, next year, hey, you know, you ever think about this one? Uh, you know, Maybe. And, you know, it just kept going like that. And it got to the point where I think, especially after doing the OB6 and the Prophet 6, and then certainly redoing the Prophet 08 as the Rev 2, uh, it was just time for something different. You know, we need to branch out uh, and not just do yet another regular old polyphonic analog synth. So it became uh, – it just seemed like a logical thing to do all of a sudden because I had to do no samples. They had this great sample library, and I said, you figure it out. You just give us 150 gigabytes of sound, and we'll throw it in there. <laughs> and that, it, it wasn't quite that simple, of course, but uh, uh, especially when we had the QA, it had 200,000 samples to make sure they were okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's how many were in there. Uh, oh, wow. But uh basically that, that's how it came about and it was a huge project for us because there was a lot of technology we haven't done before and it took a while to nail it because we knew we'd have problems with people saying, Oh, it's not a sampler if I can't edit, there's not a sampler if there's no audio input, I can't it's not multi timbral enough. You know, there's all everybody's so used to their romplers and their workstations, but that wasn't the idea of this product. We're trying to make samples into a musical instrument and not a workstation.
1: Well, let me tell you, the architecture of uh, the Prophet X is is really cutting edge, especially the way you can do um, sound manipulation and not just samples, but just sounds in general. Um, a couple things, I, you know, when I first got to demo it a little bit ago um, – it was for me my favorite thing about it was the reverse button. It was so that just seems like such a no-brainer, and yet there it is. And the fact that you can edit on the fly your start and endpoints that, that that was brilliant. But at the Prophet uh, X launch party, when you started talking about using sounds as modulation as modulators. That that blew my mind. Can you explain just a little bit? Because you do a far better job than I could ever do on on that whole aspect of it.
3: Well, a lot of our products have a fairly deep mod matrix where it's really simple to get any source to go to any destination and you just dial up how much of it you want. So among the sources on a Profit X are the samples. So one of my favorite tricks, I might have done it when you were watching, is to turn off all the oscillators have a sine wave on on one of the oscillators and then modulate it at an audio rate from, like, a choir patch. And so you basically amplitude modulating it. And it's just an awesome effect because you hear the choir but not really. Yeah. And it's just it's kind of spooky. Uh, but you can do frequency modulation. You can take any sample and modulate the filter at audio rates. Uh, it's just... There's so many little tricks like that you can do in here.
1: And as soon as I heard that, because when I let me just, I just want to explain. When he played the keyboard and you heard the choir, you heard a choir, but you didn't hear a choir. It was it was this weird sound that had all the characteristics of a choir, and my head exploded. And actually, Scott was there too, and you looked at Scott because then you just realize what that means to sound because now you use you could use a sample as a modulator get it to have characteristics of that but yeah blend that in with something else and you can modulate other samples right on the within the matrix
3: yeah you could modulate you know the start end points loop points uh the frequency the amplitudes yeah it's it's just a general purpose it's 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 really like a modular synth. I mean, like the rest of our synths, there's so many modulation destinations, and we have one big advantage is that you can hit the right button when you're done and save it all. As <laughs> opposed yeah, <it's true>. yeah. <laughs> to never getting it back again.
0: I love the romance of never getting it back again it's here in the moment you know? yeah, I'm not
3: going to argue that one we will not go there
0: <laughs> hey Dave I did have a question uh, for you about yeah. the sample modulation I wanted to ask you at the launch party and we didn't have time um, can you actually get those samples to go down to sub audio rates so can you play through them can you index them so slowly that you can use them as you know, a, an LFO or something like that
3: You probably could. That's a good point. I don't know if I've actually tried that. I'm not sure how slow they go, because there are limits to the interpolation, but uh, I don't know that we have any downward limits. I could actually try it. There's a PX right here. uh, (laughs) Two minutes Uh, and obviously the other thing i should point out here is that you know a lot of the features being able to manipulate loops or play in reverse you know these things have been around forever and a lot of software stuff does that a lot of workstations do it the whole difference here is that it's integrated in a very easy to use accessible interface so you can connect immediately with the synth and you're not going through menus and it's it's just all right there, and that that really makes all the difference. It's it's a musical instrument. It's not a tool.
4: Yeah, I love playing it because it really is a performance instrument. You can grab all of these things in real time and and just go crazy in a way that I haven't seen with other keyboards. I did just have a brainstorm for you, though, Dave. Uh, oh. If you could build one without a write button, you could probably sell it to Nick for an extra 1000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And call it the in-the-moment, the, the uh, ProfitX
0: ITM I have or to, I have to tell you, the, I'm going to just veer off just for one second. When I bought my Minimoog Voyager, I bought purposely the Minimoog Voyager old school that didn't have didn't all it. Didn't have the memory. So... <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> right. Then, he's then, right. He's
0: then it's right, not dude. that crazy an idea. You <laughs> might want to build that.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? All I remember is back in the day, I think it was the Juno 6 um, that didn't have – it was just a – you know, I, it didn't have the memory. I don't
0: think so. Was it the, was it the Juno? No, I don't think – I think the 106 may have been the first one that had right. memory. It's been a long time. Right, so the Juno 6 so didn't did, – w- Yeah, one know. of them
1: didn't. Anyhow, I had that one. And uh, I June remember of
0: sixty. It was the Juno sixty.
1: Was it? No, that one had recall. There was a, it was an early synth that didn't. I spent all this time got the great, mm-hmm. the best, most amazing sound, and then uh, accidentally killed the power. <laughs> I couldn't get it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a problem. <laughs> that's a Problem. Yeah, that's a so problem. I've never been like, and then and then modulars. You know, when you get to the modular synths and you have all those chords, and oh my gosh, <laughs> I was just I just remember literally that in the electronic music lab, mm. like you had an hour in the lab and you had to start tearing down <laughs> like a half hour after you started because mm-hmm. you got to pull all the cables out. Uh, but you had to start setting up a half hour before you started wanted to make music. So you had like 37 seconds to actually play that thing because <laughs> you're plugging in and you're reading your notes and you're like, okay, this one, here you go. Here's the oscillator square over here to that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't miss that at all.
4: When, with the... Uh, with the Profidex, <coughs> excuse me, uh, how does it interface with the outside world? Like if you, if you want to share sounds with people, uh, I think there was talk of adding more sounds later. How, how does all that work on it? Just for the listeners. Um,
3: there's two plans. Uh, one is uh, ATO will be selling add-on packs. So more samples. Uh, for example, they came in and actually sampled my Profit 5 to come up with a Profit 5 add-on sample pack. <laughs> it <laughs> seems a little superfluous. Yeah. Want to see <laughs> them in this. Yeah, but seems- then again, if you want the real thing. Uh, <laughs> so there's going to be a number of those. Uh, separately, we're we're going to have an app out that will allow you to put your own samples in, and that will be available at the end of the year. Basically, you can just drag a whole bunch of samples of whatever you want. You uh, dump them onto a USB stick, put it in a machine, and load them up, and they're there forever.
4: So is that uh, how you add the 8DO stuff? It, you put it on USB stick? Yeah. Got it.
3: It's a much easier way to do it without having to deal with drivers and this and that. Uh, And we have room for, I think, 50 gigabytes of add-on samples. Wow! So there's no shortage of space. So you can buy a few add-on packs from them and do 10 or 20 gigs of your own sounds, uh, whatever you want to do. And if your friend has sounds that they made, they can give them to you and you can load them there. uh, Is,
4: Is there a hard drive in it or a solid state drive or what's it all stored on?
3: Uh, it's all stored in magic stuff.
0: Oh, <laughs> magic
3: stuff. I like I magic stuff. Magic That's no secret because if you reach behind you and with a screwdriver and open it up, you see. But yeah, there's just. A, it's, there's no disk, no moving parts. It's just a really big solid state drive. Oh, cool, uh, cool. A special one to make you know for safety. Uh, you know, not all solid state drives work well with power on and off and stuff. Right. Uh, so you want to make sure you have the right kind. It's, I, it's protected and so forth.
1: See, and when when I found out that you could load your own samples in, yeah, my yeah. brain practically exploded, because that as a sound designer that that's going to open up like realms of sound design that that you haven't heard because you're gonna you're gonna import samples that you like to use as modulators and you're gonna also import samples that you like to use as like the bass tone and I tell you it's you know your secret weapon is going to truly be like. You know, if you have this keyboard, how you manipulate all that stuff, and you're you can really have your own personality and your own sounds. So, with a uh, with a keyboard
4: like this, oh, we hear Dave fiddling with the sound in the background. Yeah. Uh, with a keyboard. Okay, with a keyboard like this, what Mike was just alluding to, like, there's no question that film sound designers like like Scott or, I mean, actually everybody here does yeah. sound design to a certain extent. They're going to go crazy for this because it's a way to create sounds that have never been heard before. And we all know every film sound designer is always trying to figure out the next big sound. You know, if they're going to get a big movie, you know, the director always wants everything to sound brand new, uh, most of the time anyway. How, as a manufacturer, do you get this? Because, like, getting it to a keyboard player in a band is very different than getting it, like, to a Scott. Uh, or someone who's just focused on film sound design and may not even ever play a melody on the thing. They're just using it to design weird stuff. As a manufacturer, how do you, how do, you do that? It seems like well, infinite it's to what,
3: me. That's what I mentioned earlier. We don't design these products for anybody in particular. This was not meant to be a composer's keyboard. It was not meant to be a live keyboard. It's not meant to be a EDM product. It's just a product that probably will be used by everybody because it just does what it does, but it's not meant to be anything in particular. There have been times, like, you know, if you look at the Prophet 6 and the OB6, you know, we purposely obviously kept those simpler. Uh, so you could say that, oh, okay, those are meant for live keyboard players who maybe don't want to get too deep into the synthesizer aspect of it. But even then, one of the reasons I went ahead with the Prophet 6 was, you know, playing the Prophet 5 and going through all the presets, and you listen to how different all those sounds are, and yet there's hardly any controls on the front panel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And say, so how is this possible? Something so simple with such basic modulation have such a wide palette of sounds. And you realize you don't need it to do everything to succeed as a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, we, we just don't target it. It's it's That, that would go crazy, you know, and then... It would be too hard to try to you know, make one set of people happy and piss off the rest. So do you, do you actively work to get it in the hands of different
4: people from different parts of the audio world or does it just organically yep. happen?
3: we just build the unit and at some point we have to start making sounds for them. And then we send them out to different types of people to make the factory presets. Gotcha. But before then, and of course, as soon as they get it, they all have their own, Oh, well, you should do this. And why did not you do this? <laughs> of course. <laughs> just, just done that. And it's all different depending on what their uh, musical background is. But no, we don't take input. We don't ask people ahead of time what we should do. Uh, we, cause they don't, you know, people don't generally know what technology is available, what varieties of things we can do, at what cost, and what sound. And so, you know, we have to do it, and then either people like it or they don't.
1: Hey, Dave, you have a—is your Prophet X up and running? Can you can you demo a, a little bit of that modulation there? Is that is that possible? <laughs> I know we're on Skype, but well, you know, it'll take me a couple minutes to let's see. Hey, we'll talk amongst ourselves if we have
3: to. Well, I, get, I don't know how well you'll hear it because the speakers are facing the same direction. Uh, it actually sounds pretty good yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we can Any hear it. Yeah
1: it doesn't sound bad at all that's why I even mentioned it.
3: Uh, did that do that yeah. That's the uh, choir modulating the level of a sine wave That also gives you an idea of how easy it is to dial up.
1: Can you, can you play that same thing a, an octave higher? Like that? Yeah, because it, it comes across that. The higher register comes across because that, that, that has the choir characteristics, but that's just a, sound, a sine wave, right? So we're listening to
3: a sine wave. But see, the fun thing is now I can go in and I can mix in some of the actual choir. The
0: Simpsons.
3: (laughs) And, you know, just that easily, you get a completely different sound. And, of course, you can modulate that level so it comes in and out with... Yeah, yeah, you know there's no
1: end it was at that moment my head exploded um, because then it's just like wow and what really was great was at the demo and you saw a little bit on the on the video you see eric Pershing was there, and you saw Scott there, and like everybody, like it hits everybody at the same time. Like what that means, how huge that is. See, Mike's a hard guy to
4: uh, make hats for because
1: his head keeps exploding. I <laughs> yeah. say two or three times so far, yeah, yeah. and it grows back though. Hey, it's amazing. Well, I am a fanboy. Okay? He's a fanboy. He's a fanboy. Every,
0: every time you say that, I just I picture Michael Ironside in Scanners. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, well, uh, you know what, Dave? I, I think it, it's it's truly a, an iconic um, instrument. I mean, it's truly going to do – like, it's going to hit a lot of different markets. It's going to mean a lot to a lot of different people. I mean, right off the bat, though, sound designers are going to just go bananas for this because of just the, the potential. And uh, it's officially out there, right? It's shipping and – We have been
3: shipping for a week and a half, I think. So, yeah
1: very nice it's real it's real <laughs> and I, it looks like you're getting really good feedback i see a lot of really good things that are uh, being posted online so it looks like it's it's starting off pretty good
3: it, we hope i mean you never know until you've been shipping it for 3 or 4 months cuz you know at first you can ship a lot of almost anything but uh, we we have good feelings about it put it that way
1: um I, I want to, before I let you go, I, I need to talk about one thing, and, and I want to mention this. And I mentioned this a little bit in the Spaces episode, but I wanted to talk to you about it, Dave. And that's, you know, Dave was really um, the moving force behind MIDI. He brought all these manufacturers together, yeah. he talked to everybody, um, got them all speaking MIDI, and thank you. <laughs> I just want to say, on behalf of musicians all over the place, thank you, Dave. But, um, now you see that they're um, doing MPE with MIDI, kind of an add-on to MIDI, um, which I think is and it, it's kind of like MIDI within MIDI. You know the way the way it works to add the uh, um, the polyphonic expression. Um, do you uh, were you aware of that? Did you have any, any Did anybody talk to you about that? <laughs> I mean, did you have any involvement of that, or is it just you know that's uh, on to another other people doing that kind of stuff?
3: Uh, well, the easy question, first part, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Certainly heard it was going on, and it was interesting to actually see it get done. And, you know, that's kind of the beauty of MIDI is here it is 35 years later, and they, and they were able to add a protocol to it. Yeah. It's just like that. It wasn't there before. And now it's there, but it's still MIDI. So, uh, no, it's cool. It's one of those, you know, we haven't implemented it yet, and we're starting to get slowly a few more requests for it because it's still fairly specialized. You know, there's a lot of talk about the alternate controller side of things, and it's a fun thing to play with, but, you know, realistically speaking, most people are playing the regular old black and white. So, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, we get features like that that people ask, about for years and then sometimes eventually we do it Uh, alternate tuning was one of those you know a handful of people kept asking oh can we do alternate tunings different scales we really need it we really need it and eventually we did it and once you do it once then you can start putting it in all your products going forward and I imagine MPE will be similar you know at some point we'll just okay now's a good time we'll implement it in this product and once it's in that product then we can start putting it in the others Uh, but you know, I you know, the the alternate controller market. It's it's always been an interesting thing. It's you know people have been trying to do that for forty years. I yeah. remember arguments back in the eighties, uh, seventies, even where people want to have alternate ways of controlling. synths. I mean, well, you know, Don Buchla. I mean, that's that was his whole thing from the very start. Yeah. Uh, but it's not necessarily valid for most people who play. synths. most people want to play a black and white and. Uh, so it's somewhat risky to go out there and try to develop an alternate controller that you'll like because you made it and maybe a few other people will like but uh, a lot of other people won't spend the time to develop the muscle memory to use it because they have to believe that it's going to be around forever first yeah uh, whereas the black and whites have obviously been around for a few hundred years and will be so you're, you're pretty safe developing muscle memory on that yeah and things like wheels have been around for 45 years now so you know you, you can Feel safe that those will be around, so it's it's just it's just a practical thing, and I have nothing against it. I sure. think it's all cool, uh, but there's a practical aspect of spending time to develop something, and yet you, you know there'll be a where it
1: makes sense. I think, well, first of all, I think the fact that they can add that on to, to MIDI just speaks volume on MIDI itself. It's such a It's such a simple, easy, yet long-lasting standard that's going to be around. It's like they didn't replace it. They just... Okay, we're just going to add this little extension, and boom, it's still the same MIDI, and it still does the same thing. Which means that it was designed correctly right. the first time. It was, it was, it was great. And how often does that work in yeah. in the world where you get everybody who's competing against each other to develop something that like is rock solid? But um, I think the market, though, I think especially with uh, MPE, I think the controller market for things other than Musical instruments is going to really take advantage of that because you know show control systems that use MIDI right now for okay. for lighting and things like that. Just I, I think you're going to see some really cool stuff coming down down the pipe that uh, isn't necessarily music related. Because Dave's, you know, you're right, Dave on the on the alternate you know controllers because they're not inexpensive. You know, even a Roly, you know, compared to a normal controller is is it's because is they expensive. can't make
0: very many of them, and so therefore the cost of development is very high
1: yeah right. it it yeah last thing dave, and then then i'll let you go i promise um hmm. I, I noticed that if you look at your 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 projects and you look at what you've um worked on throughout the year uh, you work closely with a lot of people that yeah. you know other people would consider your your competition you know with you know Tom oberheim and with roger Lynn. and and how how's that have you guys just been buddies this whole time and you you know you just kind of you know, is it friendly competition? Do you go out and have dinner? I mean, how, is are you you know? It just seems like you guys all get along really well.
3: Well, that's always been the case. I mean, and those two I met in the seventies. I think I probably met Kakahashi, the founder of Roland, probably around the same time, late seventies. And uh, it was a small industry back then, and we were all vicious competitors, but we were all. F- Friends to, with each other, we at NAM shows we'd go off for a drink or we, you know it was it, it was it's always been like that. So it's even though back then we were definitely mortal enemies with because uh, <laughs> they were the first ones to come after us. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'd run into Tom and we'd talk about whatever, and uh, you know it was uh, it was friendly at that level. So, since I've known both of them for so long, uh, you know, it was easy to do projects with them, especially now since, uh, you know, they're both doing their own thing. And, you know, neither one of them would have done something like what we're doing, what we did with them uh, at the time. So, it made perfectly good sense for them. And, you know, it was uh, interesting working together with them because, you know, we're both used to doing our own things. And so, there were some compromises and some... Uh, uh, Things we had to get through to get the products out, but uh, it was worthwhile in both cases because they're both highly unique and uh, it, uh, it they're great partnerships. But you know we're in a different place now than we were obviously in the right. late seventies.
0: <laughs> I thought that your approach to uh, decision making through naked mud wrestling was definitely that was not something I'd seen before. That was pretty interesting. Uh, now there's a visual.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. Tom, uh, <laughs> Tom Overheim and Roger Lynn and Dave Smith. I mean, those are all like you know icons in the whole electronic music world, and it's really great to see that they're all you know that you guys are all all buddies, Dave thank you so much for joining us on the uh, on the podcast and thank you so much for letting me come up there and film spaces and literally for like the last two weeks between the editing that I've done on your episode and then seeing you over at the um, Profit X launch party and now this I feel like I've just been in Dave Smith land <laughs> you're like my new best friend you don't even know it <laughs>
3: Well, that was fun. I thought you guys would throw me some uh, harder questions. Uh, well, uh,
0: that, was, that was great. There's just too much fanboy love on this end. Yes, yeah. We nope. need some
3: haters in
1: there.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're going to find any of those at this table. Uh, and,
1: and Well, I did stay away from the what's your favorite product question that probably everybody asks you, and and I know what your answer is because I asked you the first time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And you know what my answer is
1: remember? I do remember what was his answer Are you going to leave us hanging? Yeah, I'll just leave you hanging. Oh wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't have a favorite there priority there ah. well,
3: it's the, what i the comment is that it's like picking your favorite child.
4: Oh, that's usually easy.
0: There, there is, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
3: Yeah, my favorite is usually whatever I just got done or whatever I'm working on now. But you know, it's really hard because there's a lot to pick from, and they're all awesome in their own ways. You know, some are more awesome than some are less awesome, I guess. But uh, do you have one of everything you've ever created? No, far from it. Really? No, I I have very few sequential products. Uh, um, I have probably three or four, and I, I don't even know if I have might have everything that DSI has made Mm. or most of them but no I don't have all the old stuff I don't have a Pro 1 Oh, wow. I don't the old sequencer or programmer. I don't have a six track. I don't have a
0: profit 600. I I'll don't trade have- you my Pro One for a profit X. You would, Yeah.
1: Nice try.
4: Nice
1: try. But he does have a profit 10 and and those are those were rare man to get to even touch that to even mm-hmm. see that so that was pretty cool well once again dave thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast and uh, hope nothing but success and uh, you're gonna sell a gazillion of those boards because they're pretty darn awesome hey before we leave um really quick uh rob are you uh, working on anything you can talk about anything fun and exciting
4: um well the same thing as last time i could sort of have talk about it i'm working on uh, another non-visual production station, uh, which you can guess what that's for. Uh, And it's come a long way, and it's been really interesting because I've been sort of re-evaluating sound libraries from scratch because we've been using sort of the same manufacturers and the same sound libraries for a really long time. We're branching out now. I've actually been exploring FL Studio,
1: uh, which
4: is something that I know other people have been using for 20 years, but it was new for us. So it's sort of, it's really reinvigorating uh, working with entirely new arsenals of sounds, uh, some new software, once everything 's done i 'll talk more about what the system ended up being because as i 've said before, anything you create that can be anything that you can do non visually it means that sighted uh, users can do can work that much more efficiently too if you don 't have to look at your tools while you 're using them it 's a lot more efficient so I'm about three quarters through building this whole new system, and when it's done, I'll talk about it a little more because I plan to use the identical system for myself.
1: Cool. Great, Michael, you haven't you haven't said anything, man. How how are you enjoying your uh, your podcast? I'm yeah. loving it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back so that we can uh, have some much longer conversations <laughs> with you about your composition <laughs> and you. you know all of
1: that. Um, uh, Nick, you working on anything that you can talk about?
0: <sighs> I just spent the entire day moving my studio, and wow, there is—it's. It, it, I was telling Rob, it is just so shocking to say, "Oh, that's right, I forgot that I bought that twenty years ago." And the only thing I could think of the whole time that I was moving my Hammond and my Leslie and my Clavinet and my two Wurlitzers and my Rhodes. Oh, that's heavy stuff. Why was I not a flute player? Oh, my (laughs) God. Why was I not a flute player? I had to pick the hardest thing you could do. 1970s electromechanical keyboards, and I have to I, – I, I ought to have my head examined. Yikes, so, wow. Yeah. So my, my back is a little sore right well, now. thank you for joining us. Absolutely.
1: Bobby, how about you? Anything uh, you want
0: to – The same as
2: last time, a few courses, uh, new courses and a new book and things like
1: that. Hey, yeah. it was fun being on your podcast, by the way. I, I listened Again. to that. Yeah. Again. That was really, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Although I, I would have a, a better answer to uh, changes on these last uh, years, the four years, um, when you asked me that question. So uh. You're going to have to have me on a third time and I'll, uh, okay. I'll, I'll answer agree. it. That
4: can be done. <laughs> Keep having him on <laughs> until he gets yeah. it
1: right. And you, Mike? Uh, I'm working on more episodes of Spaces. I'm in Spaces mode right now. Um, and I'm also working on uh, – this keyboard here, getting to know it, this Prophet X that's here, because uh, I'm going to do a little something. I'm doing a little video on your Prophet X, Dave. Just want to let you know. Awesome. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so it's it's fun. It's fun to get to know that keyboard. I, I can't – maybe I can, but just tell you how the potential for sound creation on that. It's just so – it's just it's amazing. I think you've told this. Story. I know. Yeah. I know. It,
4: it really is a a player's keyboard. At the yeah. launch party, I sat at it. It must have been a half hour, forty five minutes, just going yeah. through the sounds and playing because it, it's so it's so responsive and it. it just. It, you're really in the moment exploring new sounds that you've never combined before. Even if you're just combining samples uh, yeah. with synth voices in a way you've never done it before, it's just, it's a really inspirational, fun
1: yep. fun instrument to play. Um, but I also want to mention that, um, Dave, you've got some great people that work with you. you that know? is true. Andrew and Joanne, I cannot say enough Good things about those those people. They are so just genuine and they're so nice and and um and then when I went to visit you in your office and all the guys that were there, everybody was smiling. You you really um have a, a the just the temperature of the room is just perfect. I mean, everybody seemed to be happy and you know, uh, I. It might it. be the tequila. <laughs> <laughs> that no, might be a factor, but it, it really is. You, you said there is a good atmosphere there, and you have some really good people. So I got it. I want to give them a shout out. Um, Thank you. But over Dave Smith. Well, hey guys, uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com That's audio at nowcastnetwork dot com. You can also catch our. Audio Nowcast channel on YouTube, where our series Spaces has finally been launched. And Dave Smith was on the first one, and we went and we had an interview, and he answered even more questions than what we had here tonight. Wow! I asked him all the tough ones on that on that interview. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, from myself and all the guys, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you, Joanne.
4: Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast sponsored by API and WireWorld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbiter, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.